Hello, everyone, and welcome to Retro Encounter episode 366. My name is Jonathan Logan, and we're coming at you tonight with a part two. Uh, and here's my here. Picture this scenario for a second. It's 1994, and we've just bought a brand new first-party Nintendo game. What could it be? Super Punch Out? Or what about that amazing new game in a genre that we don't have a name for yet? Super Metroid? What? No, oh, this this first-party game's not on the Super Nintendo. Oh, that's cool. So it must be like. Wario Land, Super Mario Land 3 for the Game Boy, right? No, but it's 1994. What other system could it possibly be on? Yes, we are talking about the first party Nintendo game released on the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1994, three years after the release of the Super Nintendo in the West. And moreover, it's a sequel. It's Zoda's Revenge, Star Tropics 2. Uh, now, before we uh, really introduce this game, let's reintroduce our panel. So today we have our fearless leader, Mike Selby, I mean, Mike Jones. Yes, I am again going by Mike Jones today. Hello. Hello. And we also have Nick Mangiarasina. Hi, everyone. Okay. So the last time we were all together was last week, and uh, we were talking about the first in this, let's call it a series of games, uh, Star Tropics. And if I recall, we all walked away pretty impressed with the overall game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think some parts have aged better than others, but it's it was still a fun uh nostalgia trip and the setting and the music were just really fun to revisit yeah i i mean personally i thought the game had a really really uh, incredible sense of style it had a fun sense of humor it had some really great music and it also had some incredibly difficult and annoying gameplay um it was also a genre mashup at a time when there wasn't a ton of genre mashups out there uh, as it pulled dragon quest like graphics for the overworld and the towns but then zelda like action style for the dungeon sections and uh, unlike other RPGs and even Zelda, it was very much a level-based system where the game was divided into chapters, uh, and each dungeon you went into was is very much like a level. And while you could find unique items within these dungeons, you could not take those items with you out of them. Um, and this game also featured one of the most uh, unique, is I guess a word infamous might be another, uh, movement uh, schemes in game history where you need to push the D-pad to point your character in the direction you want to go, then you need to push it again to move them. And it sounds awkward because it is awkward. Um, however, you get used to it surprisingly quickly as you play. Um, anyway, the game was, even though it was released very late in the NES uh, life cycle, it was successful enough to warrant a sequel, uh, but bizarrely not a 16-bit sequel. Instead, it was heading back to the NES in the West. So... Zoda's Revenge Star Tropics 2 was released on March 15th, 1994 in North America. Uh, like its predecessor, it never got a release in Japan. Uh, unlike its predecessor, it still hasn't gotten a release in Japan, not even to this day. Um, also not available in Europe. So we this is like one of the only games that I think that, especially one of the only games developed in Japan that we we have and no one else does, which is weird. Not to mention a first party title. <laughs> Yeah, the fact Nintendo designed this thing, like R&D 3 did it. So that is, that's a, that's a weird one. Um, now, like all sequels, at least hopefully, uh, this sequel uh, underwent some significant improvements uh, when it came to the movement. So like I mentioned in the original, uh, you could only move up, down, left, right on a grid, and you'd have to push the button and then push it again to move in that direction. Now, in the sequel, you can now move in all directions. Now, there is a still a slightly... It's still a slightly weird uh, movement scheme, but this new freedom, I feel, dramatically improved the game feel. Uh, you can also now jump uh, at any time in dungeons, which is good because in the first one, you could only jump when there's a platform in front of you, but now you can jump at any time. And that's 
uh, pretty cool because now there are different levels in a dungeon, so different heights. So you can move, jump up to like higher platforms and things like that. Um, I think they've also fixed one of the major difficulty spikes, the unfair difficulty spikes from the first game, which is your main weapon always remains equally powerful regardless of your health level. Uh, in the first game, as the game went on, you would get updates to your uh, yo-yo and uh, island star. And the more health you had, the more powerful it was. But that meant that at a time when you need to be as powerful as possible and you have like one heart left, you are as weak as you were in the very beginning of the game, which created this really bizarre difficulty spike. Now, they've fixed it here uh, because the main weapon always remains powerful. However, your secondary weapon, which is a psychic shockwave, uh, does get less powerful uh, when you lose health. So the mechanic is still sort of there, but it is not as debilitating as it was in the original. Um, unfortunately, your main attack is no longer a yo-yo, which I think sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I The fact that you were your yo-yo was your main weapon in the first game. Sorry, the Island Star was your weapon in the first game was one of my favorite things about it. Uh, instead, in this game, you have at first a stone hammer, then you have a knife, and then you have a katana, which is just kind of lame uh, as compared to beating enemies with a yo-yo, which is hilarious. Yeah, They're also like essentially the same thing. And it's kind of funny that even the katana is like this weird little dagger that you just throw and just have like unlimited katanas that you're throwing out. I know. Anyway, so uh, in Star Tropics, Zoda's Revenge, Star Tropics 2, which is a weird name. Like, first off, it came out like years after the Super Nintendo came out, like arguably years after anyone even remembered Star Tropics was a thing. So rather than start it with Star Tropics 2 Zoda's Revenge, you name it Zoda's Revenge Star Tropics 2 as like the subtitle, which is a really weird naming scheme. Yeah. I think we talked about that at the end of last week, right? Where it's like, if you don't know who Zoda is, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. And like you really have to have looked at the cover t- to see like, oh, what is that little text? Star Tropics. Okay. Yeah. Also, given how friggin' hard Star Tropics is, there's a good chance that you have no idea who Zoda is at all. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Because you don't even hear Zoda's name until like the end of the game. And if you can get to the point, if you can get to the end of the game, you are a uh, you are a super player, as it was. Um, so anyway, in Star Tropics 2, which I'm going to refer to as Star Tropics 2 because Zoda's Revenge is stupid, yes. uh, you are <laughs> once again Mike Jones, the prototypical American teenager. He loves baseball. Um, and in this game, rather than island hopping, like in Star Tropics, you were uh, in the Caribbean and you were island hopping in your sub, the sub C. Um, in this game, rather than island hop, you are time traveling. Uh, so your uncle from the previous game, Dr. Jones, uh, he has successfully figured out a code from the Argonian space pod. Uh, and at the beginning of the game, well, we'll talk about this in chapter one, but, uh, so when Mike says this code, he is sent back in time and, uh, in his attempt to return to the future, he discovers that the antagonist in the previous game, Zoda, uh, is looking for revenge. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he is also traveling through time to find Tetrads, uh, and Mike must stop Zoda and get back to the future. So uh, I think it would be a stretch to call this game edutainment, but it's kind of in there. Uh, <laughs> it's it starts to be. It, it's educational enough that it's like, hey, here's this figure. But besides that, yeah, it's not it's not giving you uh, specific dates. And when you meet the figure, they're seldom doing something that that figure would actually do. 
right? Like, I don't think Cleopatra was ordering pizzas from Caesar's hut, right? No, but I would argue with just a little <laughs> bit of tweaking, they could have had an edutainment game on the level of at least Mario's time machine. Or, Mar- uh, Mar- or, or Mario, Mario is missing. missing. Mario yes. is missing, yeah. Exactly. Um, anyway, we'll talk about some of the time zones visited throughout the game in a minute. And you're right, there's not, there's not a lot of history here, shall we say. Um, but before we dive into individual chapters and go through the game, I just was curious, what are your overall thoughts as to the, the plot of the game? And what do you think of the improved gameplay? I think the, I think the plot is exceptionally dumb. Um, <laughs> I thought the gameplay improvements were very good. Uh, I enjoyed playing this one and it, and it felt like it was a little bit shorter, um, than the first one. And I appreciated that. Uh, it felt like it was, uh, kind of getting to the point quicker, um, but the, the, the plot and like the story beats were just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that is very on theme with, uh, star tropics. So yeah. like, I was, I was laughing throughout the, the whole, <laughs> most of the game. Sorry. I was laughing through most of star tropics too, but it was more of a rueful chuckle as I fell down a hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we said last time, was like, you want to play this with a rewind feature? And uh, I believe you me, I use that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the movement is so much better um, being able to move and jump freely um, and even just um, walking on tiles instead of having you jump across a room of tiles. Like it really, it just really, really streamlines all that dungeon diving. Um, the We talked about about this a little bit last time it didn't matter so much in the first game like how you get sub items and you know health restoring potions and stuff in a dungeon but it's you lose them when you leave the dungeon mm-hmm. and it didn't matter a whole lot in the first game because most chapters had one dungeon but there's a few chapters in this game where there's a bunch of mini dungeons and you're in there for like two minutes and you can pick up things like like the stars when you get mm-hmm. stars you get an extra life or whatever like they are worthless in this game because yeah. your stars reset every time you step out of a place. So like that was a very strange thing, but at the same time, like the controls and what you're using doing the most, like much better this time around. The <laughs> story is yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's not as it's not as cohesive, I guess is the thing. Like I don't really mind it. They just went a different way with it. They're like, let's just we're going to tell a bunch of like little stories that don't really connect except for these Tetris pieces. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's entertaining. Uh, okay. For me personally, I think that Star Tropics 2 is an improvement in every single way from the previous entry in the series, uh, except for the storyline and the tone. Uh, frankly, I, 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 I hated the story and I hated the tone of the game. Now, I had way more fun playing the actual dungeons, but the tone of the game drove me crazy because I, I think my favorite thing about the first game is its tone. It has a... Uh, almost a, a subtle sense of humor about it where there's absurdity yeah and there's like every single village is named cola and like oh there's someone got buried in a tomb with a giant pipe organ and it, it's ridiculous and and you know uh rob the robot is your navigator but here uh it came across much more as a low budget saturday morning cartoon and Mike, who was primarily a silent protagonist in the previous game, I wish to God he was in this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's a lot more like, uh, like I said, like a, a late eighty, early nineties cartoon teen. He's more like Michelangelo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like very irreverent and like. I, I just don't think he's a particularly likable character. Whereas in the last game, he was a likable character because he shut the hell up. Uh, here, he's uh, the, the prototypical American teenager. 
Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I missed the tone of the first game. And I also think you're right, Mike, that it's not as cohesive as the last game. And I also don't think each, despite the fact that each, certainly each time period has a much more defined sense of place because each one uses a uh, completely unique tile set. Uh, and, you know, each one look, it, it looks like a very much a different time period. I don't think the stories, each time period has quite as much character as each island did in the original. So that was, I thought that was a little bit disappointing, but overall, I mean, I had more fun playing it because I found it could be considerably less frustrating. That's not to say that it's not super frustrating. <laughs> it's just less so. I mean, I guess we could talk about this later, but really it's kind of a general statement. So I'm, I'll, I'll just say it now, but I think what got me most about the the story and the different time periods in this one, I mean, definitely something I don't like is that in, in the first game, you would go to these different islands and there was, there was, there's not a lot of plot or dialogue, but there's enough and you get what's going on in each place. And, you know, maybe you're helping a dolphin or you're helping someone in the village or you're helping, you know, the chief's daughter who was sick, like something happens. And or you you're sinking the heritage of an entire island. Yeah, but, but, but that's what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. They um, were and, all very happy about that. Yeah. And you go in and you do it. And then there's like a resolution. And sometimes you go back and you talk to the people and it's like, all right, well, it's time to move on. These, all of these chapters end so abruptly. It's just like, you get the Tetrad and you're just like, well, I'm leaving. Like I, I in the very first chapter, I was like, I thought for sure we were going to go back to the cave and like, hey, you know, hey, we talked to everyone like, at, once you saved their kids. It's like, no, no, we're not. We're not even going to revisit that. That's like, a really good point. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully yeah. they're fine. But I'm just going to open this book and leave. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There, there was no resolution to each one of the little stories. No, but maybe that plays into what you said, like about Mike being like, uh, just like dick. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, yeah, I'm done. Mike I don't, sucks. I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't care about them. Yeah, Mike in this game does suck. I feel like he doesn't want to do it. If that makes sense. Whereas in the first game, he was like very gung-ho about rescuing his uncle and saving the island. And this, he's like, oh, man, what yeah. a teenager. He didn't have a lot of dialogue or anything, but at least in the first one, you could sense that he's like, you still got the sense that he's in over his head. And like all these weird things are happening. And like, wow, this is like, all right, I guess I'm going to go in the sub and do stuff. This one, he's just like, I don't care. He's like, well, I'm going to travel through time. This is so cool. Like, really? Like, I know they're not trying to sell me a realistic story and I know mm -hmm. this isn't back to the future, but like, you know, it's like when Marty goes back to the past, he's like completely out of place. It's like, mm -hmm. you can understand like, yeah, this is disorienting. He's not just like, Oh, this is fantastic. I'm just going to have fun. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, can you imagine opening up a book? I mean, travel, go back and like prehistoric times, just be like, neat. Like, no, I would probably <laughs> have questions. <laughs> yeah. There could have been a lot more motivation. Like the only way Mike can get back to the future is by finding these pieces or solving the problems or I don't know. The point is that in my opinion, the tone of the game is not as good as the original. Um, so despite the fact that I enjoyed playing it more, I did not enjoy the overall experience more, if that makes sense. It did not. I still really like Star Tropics. I don't much care for Star Tropics too. You know, another thing is that in Star Tropics 1, Mike is going around and he has to build trust with each of the islands. And mm. in Star Tropics 2, uh, these historical figures are just giving him what he wants. Uh, yes, you're right. Mm. Yeah. The only one he actually has to work to try hard for is Cleopatra. But otherwise, like King Arthur knights him. Uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes is like, yeah, go with me to the museum. Why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. Watson's sick. 
How convenient. Okay, let's uh, let's dive into chapter one. So like the other game, uh, like the previous game, it's divided into chapters. Some chapters don't actually have any gameplay. They're just like story-based. So the game opens off with Mike giving us a friggin' monologue. Um, remember how I mentioned he was a silent protagonist in the previous game? No more of that. Um, so he gives you a kind of a recap of the previous game. He tells you who his uncle is. Uh, he tells you about the rescuing the uh, Argonian children. Uh, and there's Mika, who is the the leader of them. And apparently Mika can contact you psychically now to give you uh, advice. So uh, you get a, a telepathic message from Mika. And uh, she says that she had a dream of her father. And in the dream, her father said, was it a cat I saw? Was it a rat I saw? And she doesn't know what it means. So uh, anyway, Mike goes off to visit his uncle. And his uncle Steve is trying to translate this... Uh, this passage uh, that was on the Argonian ship. And this is, this is so weird. So you tell him this and then your uncle reverses the wording and it, I, okay. Can did this make sense to anybody else? No, no. Was I, was I tack a T saw, right? Is that what you guys was got? I tar, was I, was I tack a T saw? Was I tar a T saw? Yeah. And then yeah. he's like, get it. Yeah. And, <laughs> You can be like, no. <laughs> and if, he, I don't know, you kind of feel like he calls you an idiot if you say no, but you know, you do. So eventually uh, you get the Oxford Weir, or the Oxford Wonder World book and, uh, and you, you figure out the, the strange words of this cipher. And it's Papa Um, sorry, it's Papa Um Mau Mau, Papa Um Mau Mau, which is a, it's a reference to a 19, I think it's a very early 19, uh, 60s novelty rock song, uh, Papa uh, Umau Mau, Papa Umau Mau Mau, Papa, you know that mm, thing. Yep. <laughs> I think it's by the, I think it's by the same band that does. Uh, it's the or the bird. Everyone's doing the bird from you know it's in Family Guy. Oh that. Oh okay, that would make sense. Bird is the word, right? Bird is the word. Yeah, that's it. Um, so you say Papa Umau Mau to the book, and all of a sudden the book sends you back in time. Um. And you you get a dimensional gate and you see Mike falling through it. Uh, it doesn't quite look Chrono Trigger levels of awesome, but uh, then you land in the Ice Age and Mike is in the Ice Age. And he's like, this is awesome. It's like a science fiction movie. Cool. Um, and so you're controlling Mike at this point, And this is in the Dragon Quest style of gameplay. So this is chapter two, by the way. Uh, so you go upwards and you enter into a the very first dungeon. So this is the uh, tutorial dungeon. And you just kind of learn how to play the game here. It's nothing's particularly uh, nothing's particularly difficult here. It's just you know learning how to control the game. And then you get to the caveman cave, and it's full of cavemen. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, you, you still don't have your weapon yet. So you go to uh, one of the guys in the cave, and he gives you a uh, a stone axe. Uh, and then you come across a prophet who prophesized you coming. Um, and then you need to go to the cave and defeat Yum Yum to save their children, the children of the of the uh, cavemen. So, and there's also there's a there's a drawing on the wall that's important for you to remember. Um, and you go to the Yum Yum Cave, and in the Yum Yum Cave, uh, you have to use these symbols that you saw on the wall to figure out your uh, how to navigate around. And then you fight. Uh, he's a it's a big dinosaur. Uh, so yeah, you, you fight the big dinosaur. Um, and there's not really much to say about that. There's a big dinosaur, you fight him. It's not the, it's not the world's hardest boss fight cause it's still early on. Um, 
yet you you continue northward. You run into the kids. Uh, Mika now contacts you psychically again. Uh, tells you about the uh, to pick up the um, uh, tetrad, and uh, you pick it up. And then Mike recites the words: "Pa pa pa um pa pa mau mau." It doesn't really roll off the tongue the same way as the song. I know they had to change <laughs> it just so they wouldn't get sued, but pa 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 um pa pa mau mau. It doesn't quite work. Anyway, and no. then you travel. <laughs> You travel in time again, and you are going to Egypt, and that's chapter three. So chapter one, I mean, despite the fact that I don't much care for the tone of the game, I think it does a pretty good job of setting up the central conceit of the game, which is, you know, time travel, solve problem, get Tetrad, uh, go to a new time period. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's all there is, really. Yeah, and it's a fairly generic location in the beginning. I mean, it's, you know, it's caveman time, so there's never gonna, you're not going to see anything you recognize. So, you know, nice way to dip you into the game, I guess. But then you end up in a much more recognizable place in chapter three, which is Cleopatra's Egypt. Um, so there's a lot of stupid in this chapter yes. that that makes me go, really? That's just dumb. Um, so yeah, you're wandering around Egypt, the Nile, um, and you come across a boat and you get on the boat and Cleopatra's on the boat. And Cleopatra says, if you want me to help you, you have to get pizza for her which I think is kind of a nice reference to like uh, Antony and uh, Caesar, uh, their relationship with Cleopatra. Uh, <laughs> like Rome, I thought that was a clever little reference. So yeah, you need to get pizza for her. Uh, so you go north and you go through a little cave. And at the end of the cave is a big scorpion. So once you fight the big scorpion, it's again, not the hardest fight in the world. It's not super hard, a little harder than the dinosaur, but not too bad. Um, and then after you get out of the cave, you start going across the desert on a camel and then, or sorry, you go across the desert. Are you on a, tur- wait, sorry. No, you're on the camel. You're on yeah. the camel. And then a guy, a, a guy in a, a Koopa starts yes. coming towards you. Uh, and you're riding for a very, very long time. And the guy from the Koopa comes up to you and gives you a pizza, deliver a pizza. And you take the pizza and you bring it back to Cleopatra. Uh, apparently, uh, you get a, you get a close up of Cleopatra, and then she will allow you to go across the Nile in her boat, and then she tells you to head to the pyramids, um, which is you know a pyramid. Um, well, it should be it should be noted uh, that Cleopatra says before she asks you to go get the pizza, mm-hmm. uh, she says that she ordered one three days ago. Yeah, the delivery driver is late. Yeah, the delivery driver is late. It's been three days since we ordered the pizza. So however, so it's three days plus however long it takes you to get through, kill the scorpion, and then wander wander the desert before you find the guy. Well, that just means the pizza is going to be free. Yeah, hopefully. In, yeah. Because it's that, been longer than a half hour. That was big in the 90s. Yeah. I think that was what, like, I, I, I don't mean this in a sarcastic way, but I think that's the joke. I just don't think we quite get the joke anymore because that's sort of gone now. <laughs> like, yeah, it's ridiculous. And obviously that is going to be one old, disgusting pizza yeah and they just open up the box and they just start eating it anyway uh so now when we're on the other side of the nile uh it's time for a maze so we've got to do the the monkey maze um then it's just like a it's it's a maze full of it's a it's a maze and you can't see where you're going so you kind of have to uh get on high platforms to see where the other high platforms are and doing this you kind of navigate yourself around to get to the other side of the savannah um and then once you get to the other side of the savanna, uh, you then get teleported back to the pyramid and the Sphinx. 
Um, after the monkey gives you psychic shockwave. After for, the monkey gives reason. you psychic shockwave for some reason. Yeah. For for reasons that remain a mystery. Yeah. Uh, and then with the sh- psychic shockwave, you can now get through the trap at the beginning of the pyramid. Um, so yeah, you go in the pyramid and you go through. And this dungeon is a little bit harder. Um but much like the other ones, it's still early in the game, which although it's challenging, these games do have a, the difficulty curve is strange where it's like, oh, this is, this is challenging. If the whole game was as challenging as like this or the next level, I would have been like, this is a really fun game, but then it just gets ridiculous um, with lots of like, again, much like the other game, you know, insta death kind of things. You still die if you fall in the water, which is dumb. Um, Extremely. Yep. So after you beat, after you get through this, you fight the Pharaoh boss. And I found the Pharaoh boss uh, not to be super hard, but also uh, this is the first boss where I actually kind of enjoyed being able to uh, go, uh, not just be stuck on the grid where I could, I could face like up and up and uh, up and west or up and east. And I can actually like fire on the angle, which I thought was a, it made the battles a little bit more fun to play. Oh yeah, I mean that just being able to like attack things diagonally was a major major improvement in this game. Yeah. yeah. Because because so many so many of the enemies don't. They a lot of them still go four directions, so that gives you an actual advantage. Yeah, exactly. Um and in this game you need every advantage that you can possibly get. <laughs> so anyway, you're in the pyramid and you beat uh the pharaoh, which is you know, kind of makes me wonder how they're mummifying these guys. Uh, their heads get big. Anyway, you go into a room with the other Tetrad, you get it, and then you recite your magic words, and you time travel again. And you're right, it would have been nice to see, like, a little postscript with Cleopatra somewhere, and just, like, her thanking thanking Mike, or whatever, but no, no, nothing like that, just time to go. Yeah. That being said, I liked this chapter despite the absurdity of it, simply because it was different. It Like, it was the first, like, the first... Uh, level the the cave was kind of drab i mean it was a pretty generic setting whereas this is like egypt ancient egypt and that's a fairly unique setting for an rpg yeah the monkey maze was okay yeah um but i mean like it was different so uh it it, mixing things up made it more enjoyable food poisoning aside yeah (laughs) it actually the monkey maze actually reminded me of the uh the blackout floors in uh shin megami tensei um for the super nintendo um they have uh, these entire floors where you don't even get to see the map and uh, the first person view is uh, just black and you kind of have to like feel your way around. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, it's the it's the classic uh, secret passage, which were there were a lot of secret passage mysteries and, and puzzles in the first game, which some of which were very annoying. Can we talk about how the pyramids are full of like those well-known ancient conveyor belts? Mm. I, thought that, I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> a little known to uh, little known to archaeologists. But uh, yeah, the Egyptians, masters of conveyor, right. conveyance. Also, did you, there's not really that many people. So did you guys talk to everyone in, in each chapter? I did. Yeah. Okay. So, so shout out to uh, the, the pun girl with the fan in front of Cleopatra's. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm her biggest her fan. Biggest fan. Yeah. I'm her yeah. biggest fan. Ha, 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 ha. And uh, then Mike after, uh, uh, or right before getting the psychic, powers saying he'll, uh, he'll be a monkey's uncle <laughs> yeah just just because to be fair the monkey would probably be a better <laughs> uncle than his actual one probably true you don't like Actu- being insulted for not understanding a extremely difficult to understand puzzle <laughs> that no one understands yeah <laughs> to this day to this day 
Okay, so let's go to foggy London town. Um, so yeah, you you land in a slightly more modern time period, which is London, um, and you walk around for a bit, and you you meet Sherlock Holmes, the famous historical figure Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> who is in no way, shape, or form uh, a fictional character. Uh, more importantly, I'm surprised this game didn't get sued like crazy. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, especially at the time this game would have released, his estate was notoriously litigious um, about Sherlock Holmes. So maybe they got the rights to it. I don't know. But if they didn't, I'm a little surprised that this guy wasn't named Herlock Schlomes, just as a, a name that I'm pulling completely off the top of my head. Right. You've never heard that anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. No. Mm. Very, very, very unique. Very unique. Anyway, so uh, Sherlock is a genius. Like, literally, this man is deducing things that he could not possibly deduce <laughs> um, about aliens from outer space. Um, so anyway, he says that Zoda X, who is, you know, Zoda as we, you know, it's his revenge, uh, is going to be at the museum tonight to steal the Tetrad. So you kind of continue along and uh, you, you start heading to the museum and then you get arrested by a cop or a copper and you're in a jail where there's no escape, um, except there is an escape. You just escape jail. There's no real, there's no real breakout or anything like that. It's just like a, you, you kind of push against the wall. Um, just walk out. Yeah. Just, just like in real life. <laughs> just like in real life. It's a revolving door penal system. Um, and then you kind of just walk around London until you find uh, there's a sleepwalker at one point. Uh, and you get to the museum and Holmes is waiting there for you. And you come inside, you look at the stone, and then Zoda X appears and uh, takes it. And then you run and you go into the sewers of uh, London, which is probably way grosser than it is uh, depicted in this particular game. Um, and then the London sewers are your, is your dungeon for this, for this particular uh, time frame. Um, now there are uh, two bosses in this one. So the first one is going to be a, a killer squid. <sighs> and I mean, again, a pretty easy boss. Uh, you can, of course, fall into the water and die instantly, which is the most challenging part about this boss. Um, but otherwise, you know, not super hard. I don't think anyway. Did you either of you have some trouble with this dungeon? No, no. I actually forgot what the other boss was already. <laughs> yeah, well, so. of course you did, because he's completely overshadowed by Zoda's revenge. Yeah. That is rapidly <laughs> approaching, presumably. <laughs> so anyway, you beat you beat this sewers and you go into the Dragon Quest style sewers again. And then you go into the second sewers for the Zelda style sewers. Uh, and this is, you know, more sewers. Um, and uh, at the end of this, it's time to take on Zoda. So this right. is the first, I would argue this is the first like actual challenging boss of the game in any way. Um, so he can create like a, a thing of fire around you and you are on a conveyor belt sort of platform, which is constantly moving you around. Um, so frustrating. Yeah, it's 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 more than a more than a difficult fight. It's just a frustrating fight. It feels cheap, um, but yeah. So you're on this thing, and he can fire around you, or he can shoot some bullets at you. But you're trying to move around, but you're also on this conveyor belt, uh, and just you know, dodge the bullets, keep relatively on target, and uh, shoot uh, shoot Zoda with your uh, shoot Zoda with your uh, rock hammer or your psychic uh, your psychic shockwave. And then after you finally beat him, you know, he takes off, but you, uh, 
or he doesn't take off. He does he die? I'm a little bit confused as to how the Zodas work in this game, to be honest. I guess Zoda X dies. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Zoda X dies. Yeah. Yeah, so you get the Tetrad and you actually run into Holmes again, which is nice because you actually get a little bit of a like a postscript to your adventure. You get a, like a little epilogue. And this, you know, the, this genius of genius, this famous historical figure tells you logically if there's a Zoda X, there should be a Zoda Y and a Zoda Z or That's Z, my favorite which country you're from. That's my favorite line in the whole game, by the way. Like, I, I just love that Sherlock Holmes is just like, well... If there's a Zoda X, stands to reason there'd be a Zoda Y and a Zoda Z. I mean, there would have to be. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know which one I like more. As a Canadian, obviously, Z is the proper uh, thing, but I'm not sure. Zoda Z or Zoda Z? Both sound bad. Zoda Z? They have a bad, they both have a bad mouthfeel. Zoda Y. <laughs> Zoda Z, Zoda Z. Yeah, you're right. Zoda yeah, Z, Zoda Z. Zoda Z sounds hyphen. a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. Get rid of the hyphen. Zodas. <laughs> Zodas. Zodas. <laughs> there are so many Zodas everywhere. Yeah. Yes, that, that should have been Holmes' line. Logically, there are other Zodas. <laughs> that would make more sense. His logic only checks out if we've killed Zodas A through X. That's right. We've only killed Zoda A. <laughs> thus, only k- so Zoda thus far, X. we've only killed Zoda A and Zoda yeah. X. There are a lot of other letters in the alphabet. Either that or there were a lot more sequels to this game that got lost in the lost in the mists of time. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, you open the book and you get sent to another time period uh, after saying Papa Oo, ah, Papa Pa, um, Papa Mau Mau. <laughs> there's no way to say that with the right rhythm. That's the annoying. No. Nope. Papa Pa, Oom, um, Papa. Like you can't say it with the right rhythm. It's it's really weird. It's an odd mix of syllables. Anyway, so what do you think of this chapter in Foggy London Town? Uh, it was my, I think it was my favorite just because of uh, Sherlock Holmes. The famous um, historical figure, Sherlock Holmes. The famous historical figure, Sherlock Holmes. Um, and, uh, uh, actually I, I liked the, I mean, like I hated the Zoda X fight, but I also, mm. like it, because it was the most challenging so far, it was very rewarding to finish. Mm. Um, I also liked the modern, the more modern setting, which was, which seemed out of place considering the first game was all islands. And then up to this point, we have just been in like prehistoric times and, uh, Egypt, ancient, ancient Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I think it's one of my favorite settings in the game. I just I think the the way they rendered the town, like the color palette and like the glowing lamps and all that, I think it was actually surprisingly effective. Like it's one of the mm-hmm. cooler looking areas I think in the game. I, it's too yeah. bad there's nothing really to do in these areas. Like there's all these buildings mm. you can't go in, but uh, you know, visually and like the the feel and the music, like it's it's fun to explore. And um, the the Zoda fight. If it's, I don't really know. I'm sure people have documented this somewhere, but there are certain parts on there where you can kind of like get stuck in, like in a good way, like in the conveyor belt. If you position yourself right, you can kind of get in this mm-hmm. weird little loop where you're just kind of moving back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. And then, unless the fire hits you, you generally are safe there. But that only helps if he spawns close enough for your range weapon to reach him. So it only helps a little bit. Well, so now we're going to be. Uh... Actually, I don't. Based on the time frame here, I don't know if we're going to be going forward or backward in time. I think we're just going across the pond uh, to the old west. So we uh, we go, we get sent to another time period, and it's the old west. Um, something that I do love about this game, and admittedly, it's 1994, so it's like at the very end of the NES life cycle. But as compared to the original, the fact that every single level and time period has its own unique tile set 
is pretty impressive. Like it's a pretty impressive looking game uh, for an NES game, especially for an NES RPG. Well, plus it's like it has like a unique tile set in each, you know, graphic style. The overworld and the dungeons all feel different, which is really nice. Yeah, I know. There's like there's no there's no crossover there. They would need to design everything uh, individually for both kind of styles of gameplay. And some of them are really, really cool. Some of them feel a little lazy. The Old West does not feel lazy, though. The Old West is a game. I was when you're in that Old West town, I was like, I wish I could play a whole RPG set in this like world, this town. Yeah. 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 It was very good. It was very cool. Um, and they also had a fair. I think you could go in what? Three buildings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Which considering is... you could go in. Anything yeah. In London. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it, it oh, is an improvement. That is that's a personal annoyance of mine in a lot of actually retro RPGs nowadays do it where it's like you can't go in every door. There are only some doors you can go into and there's usually like an error or something that tells you which one you can go into. But like I just miss the days where you could burst into everyone's home and steal their stuff in pots. Right. If there's a door, you should be able to open the door or at the very least you should be able to. No, actually, no, because I was about to say that there should be a message saying you don't have a key, but then that would imply the existence of an item that allows you to get into the door. Anyway, uh, so we're in the Old West and it's an old timey Western town uh, and you uh, you need to find a store. Uh, because you okay, you need to go to the saloon uh, to get some to get a drink or ginger ale, and you talk to the piano player, and he sings you a little tune, which gives you a clue uh, as to where you need to go later. Uh, and then you go to the shop, and you get some dynamite because you know you. I guess it was the old west; they'd sell dynamite to anyone, including you know fourteen-year-old boys or fifteen. How old is this kid again? Well, he was fifteen in the first one. I'm not sure so how he much must time be sixteen passed. now. Yeah. Also. He does just give it to you. Yeah, right? that's true. So yeah, go find some gold. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go out there. We're lousy with dynamite here. <laughs> Can't give it away. So anyway, you go out and you, this is the, this is one of the dumber puzzles in the game. I would argue you have to listen to the song and in the song, there's a clue as to which cactus you need to uh, line yourself up with. And then you go left from that cactus uh, and then you set your dynamite and you blow up the wall. Now, if you fail, of course, you need to go back for more dynamite. But if you succeed, you, you know, find the dungeon. You can also find a big heart uh, if you put it in the right spot. And gold. Oh, yeah, and gold. And gold, but I mean, doesn't do anything, which I think it's a fu- I think that's a pretty funny MacGuffin. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so now we're in the mining cave and it's a mine, which is you know, again, thematically appropriate and a really, really cool looking level for uh, what it is. And there are a bunch of little mini bosses in this stage, including there is a, uh, there's a, a, a monster that throws rocks at you, um, which is not, it's not like as hard as some of the bosses in the game, but it's, you, he throws rocks at you and you have to utilize your new jumping ability to jump over the rocks. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty unique though, because it's, it's one of the only bosses like on just a straight line instead of just a big room to explore. So you have to approach it differently at least. Yeah. And then there's also a, uh, there's a a mine car mini boss, uh, where it's just a skeleton in a mine car that's like racing around. Oh, that one. Yeah. I hated that one. Yeah. It's, it's annoying. I don't think it's so much, see, there's such a difference between difficult and annoying, difficult it should be fair. Annoying is just cheap. Yeah, and that there one are, is very, very annoying. Yeah, there are a lot of cheap bosses in this game. Is This is the first dungeon where you get this. Actually, it's the only part in the game where you can get a star, right? I think I so. think you can get a star for that boss, which just makes you invincible because it's like a Mario star. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, <laughs> it almost makes you wonder if they're like, we made this too hard. 
Make an item that makes you invincible. <laughs> it's easier to get you invincible than it is to to tweak this fight so it's easier. Yes. That is a brilliant way to balance a game. <laughs> Just make yourself invincible. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of it, you have uh, the ghost miner, who is exactly what it sounds like. He's a he's a skeleton ghost miner. Uh, and not, again, not the hardest fight in the game, but harder than I would argue anywhere else. If the, if the difficulty spike, if this was the final difficulty spike in the game, I would argue that this would be a pretty damn fun game. If it was like, if it kept at this level, it would have been challenging, a little cheap in places, but like challenging and fun. It doesn't though. Uh, it gets much harder, but the the ghost miner, you know, completely fine little boss. Uh, he hits the ground, sends rocks rolling. You got to jump, keep your distance and keep shooting at him pretty much. Yep. And then of course, at the end you get your, you get your tetrad piece. Um, for those of you who haven't gathered yet, by the way, the tetrads are the pieces that are in the game Tetris. So that's another nice little uh, reference there. So it's like, you know, long piece, L piece, reverse L piece, uh squiggly piece block piece those are the official names i believe yes yes <laughs> they're tetrads yeah. oh speaking of that i don't know if either of you saw but the trailer for tetris the movie just dropped for was, apple tv plus it was great oh my god good. they're still doing that okay yeah i didn't it looks, see it yet it looks frigging awesome oh, it looks god. great all right okay. I, I gotta it, check it out it looks so good the story of tetris is one of those batch crazy stories in video game history uh video game historian did a really great uh like a hour and a half documentary on it yeah. i recommend anyone listening to give it a watch because it's awesome it's so interesting um anyway so yeah you read it and bam pow um pow pow we're going in time again and uh this time we are traveling to venice so i was highly offended by this as an italian myself i was highly <laughs> offended by this chapter <laughs> Mamma mia, what do you mean? Uh, some of the people would say things like, Tetrad, I have no, I have a no Tetrad. How about some nice Tetrazzini or Totalini? <laughs> Sorry, just a bit. I like the idea that Tetrads, it's mistaken as a form of pasta. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all we got over there. Right? That's all they eat. Yeah. <laughs> pasta and pizza. Hey. Yeah. Anyway. Can, can we... Can we talk, talk about the old West? Absolutely. Just a little bit. Um, I actually can, I'm still beside myself that this game, this first party Nintendo game released in 1994, puts you in a saloon and it wasn't something that's like, oh, it looks like a saloon, oh. but it's called the milk bar. It's like, no, it's literally called a saloon. They're serving drinks. There's dancing girls and guys brawling. And I'm like, I'm shocked that they actually let that happen. I'm impressed. Like it actually, it really works because th that's how it was. That is proper for the setting, but it's kind of amazing to think that that was actually allowed in that game. Sorry, I'm just imagining the censor at Nintendo being like, what is this, 1994 NES game? Because I don't give a crap. Let them release anything they want. No one's going to play it anyway. And it's in the States. Right. <laughs> that, like that has to be it, right? Because I, I mean, because like, even a year later with Earthbound, um, mm. lots of uh, censorship like that. Yeah. Or, or just changing uh, icons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the weird thing, too, is that it's not like this is a Japanese morality thing because the morality police were the United States, not yeah. Japan. Yeah. Apparently, they I'm assuming that it was made for the West. So they're like, nah, this is pretty authentic. Yeah. The authenticity is just. Mwah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just I thought that was 
Interesting. And I, I have to admit that I'm I'm very entertained by the mm. two guys fighting that don't want you to interrupt because hey, hey, we're brawling here. I mean <laughs> hey, kid, some, we're brawling here. Some of the some like I really did like some of the dialogue in this game. Every once in a while there's an NPC you were like, all right, all right. It's like <laughs> yeah. this is literally this is what we do. We just fight. So uh give us some space, please. I think if Mike shut the hell up, that I would probably have enjoyed the game's sense of humor a lot more. <laughs> also, at the end of that chapter, don't we run into um the owl? Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. The owl. There's an owl. Um that is uh, helping you on your way throughout the entire game. Um, he tells but, you to ooh. wake the windfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that puts a different spin on that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a there's a friggin' owl, and it uh, it helps you out occasionally. Um, yeah. It's the game is uh, the, the the owl gives you a uh, gives you an upgrade to the super psychic shockwave. Um, so yeah, you get more magic powers now, which is good because you need all the magic powers you can uh, you can muster to get through this game, especially after this point. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, wait. Is it the owl or the donkey? Oh, it's an animal. I think it's a donkey. In this oh, chapter. it's the donkey. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the magic donkey, which I, magic I was donkey. also just like, I don't know why this is happening. And again, <laughs> why Mike just accepts it. But I like the idea of a magic donkey that teaches you psychic powers. <laughs> I mean... I guess once a monkey teaches you psychic powers, the donkey doesn't become like, you know, a bridge too far. That's true. That's true. I'll be the uncle of an ass, I guess. (laughs) Okay. So let's go to, uh, let's go to stereotype land and, uh, yeah, we're in Venice and, uh, we are going to track down, uh, Leonardo da Vinci and you get to Leonardo's workshop and you find some footprints on the floor, uh, and paint spilled all over the ground. Uh, and, the, the stat, there's a statue in the room and the statue, there's noises coming from the statue and it's of an old guy. So presumably somehow, and for some reason, Zoda decided to freeze Leonardo da Vinci in stone. I mean, he has a sense of humor, I guess. Uh, oh, this would also be Zoda Y, as in why did you change da Vinci into a statue? Because uh, it's a you, funny. It's a funny. <laughs> Maybe change him into some spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> So you go down to the, the, at the end of the chapter, he just gives you the blueprints to his flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> sort of, very much so. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you go you go through a little a trap, a uh, little a little trap dungeon uh, to get to Da Vinci's other room, where you get a, uh, a chisel and hammer, and then you chip Leonardo out of the out of his uh, the plaster, and then uh, he offers you his flying machine, which is hilarious. Uh, and then you you fly it up to the air, and Mika sends you another telepathic me- telepathic message telling you to be careful. Uh, and then she leaves, and Mike finds himself on a small island. Um, unfortunately, not as fun an island as any of the ones in the first game. Uh, and then yeah, there's there's a there's a museum, the uh, museum dungeon, and in the museum dungeon you you know it's this is this is a it's a tricky dungeon it's not super I, I, getting into the details of the dungeon at this point is kind of pointless they're all fairly hard really and they have except for really annoying ones which we'll probably get into um and then at the end of this dungeon we fight against uh zoda y of all people um and the first one is much easier than the first fight because you're not on a moving uh conveyor belt platform and then zoda turns into does he turn into an owl or does he turn into a moth I don't know. It's an owl moth. I couldn't really figure out what it's supposed to be. It's one of the two. 
Um, and it becomes really annoying because he Zoda, the, the Zoda moth or Zoda owl can flap his wings and that blows you around and blows you back. Uh, so then it becomes, it, it's just an annoying kind of fight. All the Zoda fights in both games are just irritating, uh, more so than fun. I mean, points for actually getting wind physics in, but yeah, mm, yeah, that's not yeah. too bad. I mean, if we want to give points, we'll give, let's give points where we can, uh, at this point. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you fly along and you, uh, you, you beat him and then you get the, uh, the Tetrad. And, uh, again, it's time to, uh, Zoda appears again, uh, at the end, once you get the Tetrad and you get whisked off your next time period, uh, he sends you here and you end up in dark Transylvania. So Venice, aside from all of the ethnic stereotypes, uh, do you have any thoughts about this particular place? Cause I don't, I, I mean, the, the fact that you get a flying machine for a very brief period is I think pretty funny, but you don't get to control it or anything like that. So my favorite part though was, uh, and this is more Mike being annoying. Um, when, before giving you the flying machine, Leonardo da Vinci asks you, what do you think about my painting over here? Uh, and he's like, no. I don't know, man, the Mona Lisa, the hairstyle is a little old. And so he gives it like an anime hairstyle. And then Mike replies, whoa, that's radical. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something. Good old 90s. Oh, wait a sec. What am I thinking? No, you don't fight Zoda at the end of this chapter, do you? I don't know. Don't you? No, you don't fight. No, I don't think you I... fight Zoda at the end of this chapter, do you? You fight. Uh... Uh, I'm looking at my screenshots chronologically and after. Uh, he talks to Mika on the uh, uh, flying machine. I have the um, uh, screenshot of Zoda uh, post fight. So I, yeah. I thought you did. I thought that maybe I'm wrong, but I thought it was sorry. I'm, I thought it was that you uh, he sends you to Transylvania at the end of it. So there's no fight and you get sent to Transylvania. Then you fight him. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah, I think I screwed mm. that up. It's okay. fine. That's OK. We'll get to it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, um, I don't. Yeah, there's not a whole lot going on uh, in Italy. Again, I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a nicely like rendered town, like London was. Uh, yeah. The the fountains are cute. Um, you know, of course, you have the you know pasta lines, and I know, <laughs> I know, I shouldn't. It's Mike's review of Mike's review of Italy. There are nice fountains and pasta. <laughs> I I know I shouldn't be entertained at the very obvious joke of the guy offering to sell you like you know maps of the famous artist homes, and he has Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, mm. but not Leonardo. But <laughs> I admit it amused me. Um, and actually, this this has one one of two uh, things I noted playing through. Uh, interesting things that actually connect the chapters together. If you go out of your way to talk to people is that you, there's a guy in town talking about Caesar's hut, which means they've been around since ancient Egypt days and are still going strong in whatever year you're in now. So I thought that was kind of a, an interesting little reference. It's like, yep, we're still, we're still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, but it's like, wow, hundreds of years, huh? Clearly, it's stunning they've actually gotten there without that level of service. I mean, well, maybe they stopped trying to deliver their pizzas on Turtleback. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, they, I'm sorry, there's probably some kind of like, I don't know, sub canon here where it's like, this is where Mario's hatred of turtles comes from. <laughs> it's just deep, deep rooted inside him, where it's like our, our pizza industry struggled under the turtles until we replaced them with, I don't know, what kind of car do Italians drive, Nick? <laughs> uh <laughs> they all drive the same car so which one uh, is that a fiat yeah it's a fiat 
It's a Fiat. Okay. Okay. Getting on now. Uh, we're in Transylvania, uh, and it's it's a monster haven. There's a lot of reference to uh, Universal monster movies in here, including there's Frankenstein monsters and things like that. And then at the very end, you fight Zoda. Sorry. Now we already went through this fight. Maybe he's a bat. That would make sense because it's technically Dracula. But then again, he does have feathers. So it's a fe- Zoda's a feathered bat. Oh yeah, that's right. He shoots feathers at you, right? Yeah. Like in a, yeah. Yeah. So thematically it doesn't quite work, but that's okay. So anyway, we already talked about that fight. I had it slightly out of order, but that's okay. Um, look, folks, the, the storyline here is not art. It's <laughs> normally I would not attack the storyline of a game, but at this point it's, it's pretty damn simplistic and just moves at a very rapid pace for no reason whatsoever. Speaking of that. So after Transylvania, which there's not much to talk about here, I'm just going to skip over it because you know, it's, it's a dungeon and there's a fight and that's it. Uh, you don't even get to meet Dracula. Apparently Dracula is Zoda Y. Um, you end up in Camelot, of all places, where you speak to the famous historical figure, King Arthur, um, who uh, increases your life and then knights you. Yeah, immediately. Like, immediately on meeting you. Yeah, immediately, which is how, you know, kings work. And uh, you need to be knighted in order to fight the dragon that is attacking Camelot. Now, I did not do this, but apparently if you say no to his request... I did. You did? <laughs> did you really? Yes. That's the end of the game, and you cannot advance any further. No, no, that's not true. No. Oh, it's not. Um, you, he, you're stuck on that dialogue in the room. Like you leave the room and come back, and it's fine. But I, oh, okay. I'm impressed that they let you do that. Where you're like, well, you said no, get out of here. I have no room <laughs> for cowards in my in my court or something like that. Get out of here, our newest knight. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have knighted me right off the bat. Brave, brave, Sir Robin. Did you talk to Lance a lot, by the way? I don't think so. Did you? Yes. I told you I talked to everyone because I have to. Mm-hmm. There was also Sir Spineless. And Sir Spineless, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I I had to get a screenshot of Lancelot because it was just so hammy. Uh, I I am Sir Lancelot. No doubt you have heard of my many great and wondrous adventures. He's so he's so humble. <laughs> anyway, he's busy though. He can't slay the dragon because he's he has some amazing thing to do. Yes, clearly. So he'll leave it to a sixteen-year-old boy. Um, you also get an upgrade now to your uh, it, you're no longer fighting with a uh, uh, with a uh, bronze dagger hammer. Yeah. yeah. Leonardo da Vinci gives you a katana. He gives you a katana. Yeah. To be so, historically accurate. Yeah. To be historically accurate. He gives you a katana, um, which is great. So now we are moving onward. So we're going to fight a dragon. Uh, we go to the dragon cave um, and in the dragon cave or at the first part of the dragon cave, there's actually a uh, mini boss. I guess a mid boss, uh, a knight, which is a weird kind of boss. You're on a conveyor belt that's going, uh, that's going around the room, and the knight is going back and forth in the middle of the room, uh, just straight back and forth. So it's kind of like a he'll occasionally shoot at you. You can avo- try to avoid the shots. It's kind of like a shooting gallery sort of boss. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it feels like a carnival game. Yeah, I actually like this boss. I he's not super hard. I thought it was kind of a fun fight, though. It was different. I liked it. I you know the weirdest thing about about this chapter to me is that you're going into these caves to fight the dragon, and I would expect to fight a bunch of monsters and dragons. And this is the one cave you go in, and you're fighting other knights. I don't really know why. Per- presumably, they're Mordred's knights. I guess. I guess. I guess. I don't so. know. Yeah. Rogue knights, because King Arthur just knights everybody that comes by him. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, that's okay. a funny theory. Actually, I like that too. But no, Let's I mean, go with I, that. Yes, I thought I thought it was a good boss. It it's 
fun. It's not, uh, it has some level of challenge, but it's not just like frustrating for no reason. Like so many of the late game ones are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you go after you beat him, you go into the next dragon cave, uh, again, tricky thing. And then you get to the dragon and holy cripes on a cracker. I hated this damn boss so much because I didn't for a while. I did not get the, uh, I did not get it, like how you beat him. I didn't know that his mouth, you have to shoot him in the mouth, but his mouth is at a higher level than you are. So you need to <laughs> jump and shoot him in the mouth. Yeah. So I thought there was only a very brief period where you could attack him when he would open his mouth. And the problem is in this area, there's advancing spikes that are heading towards you at all times. So if you don't kill him fast, you're going to lose because your entire floor is going to be covered in spikes. But it's fairly, it's impossible to actually beat him unless you realize, oh, I can just jump and shoot him in the mouth. Yep. I didn't know that. So this, th- I got stuck on this boss for quite some time until I eventually had to look at a uh, walkthrough and be like, oh. Did you have the sub weapon at least that fires diagonally? Yeah, but still, it was like, uh, I, I, did, I had a hard it's time. It's a with tight this boss. time frame if you're not doing the jumps. Oh, no, no. I mean, it is, but like, if, if you're trying to do it with your regular weapon too, it's like then you have to like yeah. angle yourself over there. But I, I only used, I only used whatever that thing is that like spreads into three. I don't know. Yeah. It looks like a mace, I guess. <laughs> a spiky yeah. ball. It's a koosh ball. Speaking of the eighties and nineties, <laughs> I don't think we're allowed to call it a koosh ball. It's the same reason they almost got sued for yo-yo. <laughs> well, what are they called now? I don't know. They- Time travel star or <laughs> time travel star. The time was right star. Up the tongue. Yeah. The time star. Um, the Papa Umau star. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, we beat the dragon and we pick up the Tetrad and uh, yeah, it's uh, we put it together and nothing happens, which is strange. Why isn't anything happening? And uh, so then we say the words again. Well, wait, and we, we did get, run into someone, though. We did who? The owl. Oh, Merlin, of course. Uh, yeah, Merlin shows up and he's the owl and uh, he says he was also the uh, the monkey and the donkey and uh, he can't help you any more than he already has, but he gives you the final, uh, your final upgrade for your psychic shockwave. And then you, yeah, then you go and you say the words again and we travel not back in time. We, go, we travel back in time to the original game, sort of, um, and we find ourselves on Sea Island and unfortunately Sea Island is not featuring the... Uh, the delightful theme song that we all know uh, because it's, it's a little bit more tragic because you go to Coral Cola and everyone there are boars. They somehow they have, they have uh, Zoda has transformed every person in the village into a boar, except for the pig. Like like the animal boar though. They're not just like a bunch of boring boring people. It's like, uh, I don't want to do anything today. (laughs) That's how I felt by the end of this game, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Except for there's one little kid who is, uh, who, who was not there when it happened. So he tells you what happens. So you go to the stairs behind him and this is by far the cleverest part of the game because you find yourself in the tutorial dungeon of the original, uh, of the original game. And it is like a one-to-one recreation, uh, which is, I think frigging awesome at this point. I like yeah, it. It's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, not the most challenging dungeon at this point, but it doesn't need to be because we're about to run into, I would argue one of the more challenging parts of this game. Um, so yeah, you go through the original dungeon and then at the end of it, you fight a skeleton version of the original boss, the sea serpent. Um, he is now a skeleton. Uh, and 
not super hard. I mean, if you beat the if you beat the sea serpent in the first game, pretty much the same deal, just a little bit harder because a little bit later in the game. But like at this point, there are harder bosses to come. Let's put it that way. Um, so you beat the sea serpent and you cross the thing as per uh, you did in the first game and you enter what you'd expect to be the end of the dungeon, but it's not. Instead, it's a surprise boss rush. Uh, so yeah, you need to beat all of the bosses in this game, the main bosses in this game up to this point again, before you face off with Zoda. And this is a slog. <laughs> uh, if you do not have rewind. Yeah. Also it's black know. and white. Yeah. Spooky. I think it's all happening in Mike's head. <laughs> <laughs> that would have at least been an interesting twist. Yeah. He just, he said the magic words and then he just passed out. <laughs> He's just been on the floor of his uncle's office saying for the last like hour and a half. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you, you go through and you fight all of the bosses. So you fight, uh, you know, fight the Scorpion King again, you fight the Pharaoh again and, uh, and uh, the ghost miner and, and the, uh, the dragon again. And finally you make your way to Zoda. So the first form of Zoda is weird. It's a bunch of little squid like guys. Um, and you can only attack the pink one. And once you kill the pink one, the blue ones all gather together into Zoda. Um, so he's shooting little bullets at you. Uh, and occasionally he, tr- you know, he, he can turn you into a boar. Uh, thankfully that is temporary. So that lasts about 30 seconds, I would say. Um, but you know, he's fast enough that if you turn into a boar, that's probably the game. Uh, so yeah, you just kind of try to, you know, avoid his bullets. Uh, jumping is a very good idea and you want to desperately keep your hearts up so you can use, uh, your shockwave because your katana is just not going to do a whole lot of uh, damage to him. Shockwave has better range too. Yes, it does. It very, especially in its fully, uh, it's fully charged form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then after you beat his first form, he transforms into his last form and it's, he transforms into its last form and it's basically the same thing just with a few extra moves. Uh, where he can cause explosions near you. Uh, you have to keep running around to dodge them. Uh, he can occasionally become invincible and charge at you. Um, and if you touch him, you are probably going to die, and you will definitely lose your psychic shockwave. And yeah, it's just a... Both of these fights are just really friggin' hard. They're hard fights to get through. Uh, not a super lot of fun. But if you can beat them, then you get quite a treat which is uh, you emerge from the dungeon and then you hear the sa- you hear do, 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 do with a new arrangement of the song. And uh, you go into the chief's hut and uh, Mika's there and she, you know, she thanks you for saving everyone. And then you put together the tetrads and then the tetrads turn into her dad. Uh, <laughs> her dad. Yeah. Uh, Hirokan. I was going to say Jor-El, but okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you, he, he's like, thank you for saving me and my children. And then he says, we're going back to our home planet now that was theoretically destroyed, so I don't know why they're going back, but they're going back now. And then uh, Mika tells you backwards that she'll be thinking about you, and then you are made the hero of Argonia, which carries literally nothing but that title. Uh, and then they fly off into the island. The end. So... This last chapter is, I would argue, one of the best in the game. Not because of the bosses, because the boss rush and certainly Zoda suck. But it's just like nostalgia trip. Because obviously you're on Sea Island again. You're in Coracola. Uh, you hear the song again. 
And it's really quite impressive just how much of an upgrade in graphics this place has gotten in three years. Uh, the huts look like actual huts now, but like the layout's still the same. It just kind of, the game looks way, way better. So they actually, they could have just reused probably the exact same tile set from the original game, but they created something a lot more detailed, which was really, really neat. It was a little weird that they didn't have any other callbacks to the first game uh, yeah. until you got to here. Um, you left out an important reveal though, where the chief reveals that his middle name is Tetris. <laughs> That's how he knows how to put the thing together. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> surprise. That is a surprise. This has been, has been uh, teased since the first game. And finally the pieces have fallen together. <laughs> the Tetris yeah. have fallen. And yeah, that's the, that's the conclusion of the game. And, uh, you know, at the end you, uh, Mike gives a little monologue at the end, uh, and that's it. So Star Tropics two, the end Nintendo. So that's the game. Uh, I'm curious what your takeaways from this game are. We talked a little bit about it at the first, but now that we've gotten through the whole thing, uh, what do you make of it? What do you make of the final chapter? So difficult. I know <laughs> um, that, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I didn't think about this. I, I don't know why I didn't mention it earlier, but um, this is something I picked up on and I was thinking about while I was playing. And it's, it's definitely something that's different about the sequel. I saw it in, in a video when I was researching the first game, but they, they changed what happens when you get hit in this one. There is no momentary inv- invincibility. And I think that was a big mistake mm. because anything in the game, if you're touching it, will just continuously hit you. Basically so, stun lock you, especially if you end up in a corner. Yeah. And and yeah. so many things will take like two or three hearts per hit. So like in the span of like a second, you'll you'll touch like a bat and lose nine hearts. Um, so I think that's the worst part about like getting clipped or accidentally touching anything, especially a boss, is that you, you can die in like a second or two because you just get hit a bunch of times in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, but you know, again, rewind. A very useful feature. Yeah. Yeah, man, that the boss rush, not so bad. I thought it was kind of interesting. I was sort of impressed that they more or less got a, a laugh sound effect out of the NES. Um, <laughs> when he just sent Zoda's like sending you around, which presumably that's Zoda Z. I mean, they just stopped having dialogue at this point. So mm. he doesn't come up and be like, I am Zoda Z, but I, I guess that's meant to be. I bought that. I thought his name was Zoda's. Oh, Zoda's. 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 Yeah. Uh, so, gotta love but I, but I did like I did like going back to Sea Island and like you said it's it's actually really nice like the the upgrade it got visually is like is a really good showcase for the difference in this game like like they even have like if you look at the walkways around town they even rounded the corners so everything isn't just a little square mm-hmm. like, yeah. like they took their time with it I appreciated that yeah it was it was nice to see um like Mike I I kind of liked the I mean I, I guess like is a, a too generous of a term. Um, the boss rush was fine. Sorry, I I, I think the boss rush the boss rush in isolation is fine. The boss rush followed by Zoda sucks. <laughs> yeah, because those that's a, I didn't like any Zoda fight really in this. No, entire they're just not game. fun. But at least Zoda was it, so the one thing that this that uh, Star Tropics two has over the first Star Tropics is is that they clearly establish who the antagonist is going to be throughout the game. Whereas in I mean, they established, one. to be fair, they established that from the box. Literally, yeah, the first, <laughs> literally from word one, we know who the antagonist is going to be. Whereas in, you know, Star Tropics one, they really keep you in the dark about a lot of things for for a lot of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, 
they they hint about aliens and stuff like that but like it i don't even think it's still like chapter four when they say your uncle has or actually might be earlier than that but when they like clearly state your uncle has was abducted by aliens. I think the chief uses the word abducted in the very first, but doesn't use aliens. He says your uncle's just been abducted. Yeah, which I took to which I took to mean like, oh, somebody came and kidnapped. Yeah. Although that's ignoring the star in Star Tropics, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> Either way. Uh, yeah. And I, I did. I also really appreciated. I appreciated the uh, uh, changes they made to Sea Island. Um, I, I, I don't think it was enough to make up for the game. Hmm. But it was it was nice. It, you know, I probably I spent I made sure to talk to everybody um, there. Uh, there's a, an old lady that says, boy, where do you come from? America or Americola? Yeah. Um, and that was like the only cola reference in the whole game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the same thing she said in the first game. Right. Which I actually. Yes, I thought that was pretty good that it was. uh she says the same thing. Everyone else says something new, but she just says the exact same thing. She says she actually says the Americola. I was disappointed nobody said something cola, like "Oh, welcome to uh, London Cola" London or something cola. like Venice Cola. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Speaking of throwbacks, I totally missed it in the the King Arthur chapter. That was the other one. Um, again, this is just a small thing. I just thought was cute. There, you know. Um, the guys in the saloon that were brawling, there's two knights fighting in the castle. Same thing. Mm. It's like, hey, stay back. We're fighting here. Well, they mm. say we're training. We're training. We're, we're training, training here. here. Yeah. I don't know why they're all New Yorkers. But. Get out of here, kid. We're training. Yeah. <laughs> I love the get out of here, kid. I, again, I, like what I said in the first part is I feel like in almost every way this is a better game, except it's not. It's such a weird situation for me where I can recognize every flaw in the original Star Tropics, and I can really, really like it. And I can I can notice that this game has far f- fewer flaws and fixed a lot of the problems, and I like it a whole lot less. It's strange. I really think it's part of that, just everything being this weird little vignette where, like, you'll do a chapter in, like, half an hour, and it's like, okay. And then, like, none of that really has any relevance. You were just there to get the thing and then leave. Yeah, yeah. I love Dragon Quest VII, um, but this ain't it. You know what I mean? Like... The, like <laughs> Every chapter, uh, just it, 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 maybe, maybe it was too quick. Maybe it was because, I mean, like narratively Mike is just given things. And so, you know, like all he's doing, all he's doing is going through the dungeon to get the Tetrad. Arguably Star Tropics 2 doesn't take like 120 hours to get through. So that's another way it's very unlike. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. As much as we're saying about like, oh, well, this felt like sort of rushed and some of these chapters are abrupt, like overall, I thought it was a good pace anyway. Like it didn't drag out at least. Yeah. That should be in the pros column shorter than dragon quest seven. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of games with that pro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all of them. Well, persona four exi- or persona five exists. Yeah. So I actually, I, there's nothing, there's not any one song in this game that is as memorable to me as like the dungeon theme in the first one. Do, do, but, do, 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 yes. do, 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 but I do like a lot of the music in the sequel, and I actually appreciate that there's more of it. I do too. Um, it's just not as memorable. It's not as memorable, but a lot of the dungeon themes and stuff, I think, were were a lot of fun. So I, I like that part. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's it's just if you're if anyone if people listening to this are trying to decide whether or not to play Star Tropics one or two, I might recommend both of them because I think they're both worth playing. If you can only pick one, even though the second one's technically a better game, I think the first one is a better experience overall. It's a better package. It's a much more unique title. There's a lot of this just feels generic to me. 
I might be wrong. No, I mean, uh, I get it. Yeah. Um, well, here's a question for both of you before we go. Um, I kind of brought this up last week because I mentioned that I would love to see a, if this continues, if, this, if this, they announced a new, a new Star Tropics 3, what would I like? And I was, I thought I said a rhythm game would be awesome. Um, <laughs> what form would you want a revival to take? Would you prefer it to be a, a full remake of Star Tropics? Would you prefer a, like a, a classic remaster, just re-release it? Uh, but like with a fresh coat of paint and with like some upgrades and maybe a rebalancing thing, or would you prefer a full on sequel? Like how would you, if they had to revive this IP and God knows they would really need to revive this IP uh, at this point, what form would you like that to take? I think, I think what you do is you, you remake the first game um, and you really, you really zero in on the Zelda-ness of it. Um, Mm. You, you kind of refine some of the, uh, combat mechanics and then add in some things where you need to you need to um, uh, collect some things that will make the journey a little bit easier uh, and likewise allow you to carry items from dungeon to dungeon mm. um, there's a lot you could do to make that first game to, there's a lot you could do to modernize that first game without uh, distancing itself so far from the source material yeah I can see that yeah me too I can I can see it in like Visually, I could see it in like the style of like like Pokemon Legends. Like if they wanted to do it 3D, but still keep it sort of cartoony. Like you wouldn't want to go mm. too realistic with it. Yeah. The other option is tone down the RPG elements and just make it like a hardcore action game, like Devil May Cry style. I would go for that. With yo-yos? Yeah, yeah. Has to be a yo-yo. Yeah. I you got to get the lock-on system working right for it to work in like full 3D action combat. But uh I, I'd, I'd go for it. Now, folks, I've got the perfect solution here. It would, t- it would take Nintendo no time at all. The game's already designed. You just slap a reskin on the Wind Waker. <laughs> you, you, instead of the boat, you put it at the sub-sea. You just change all of the models, and you change maybe some of the dialogue, but you keep the game identical other than that, and you have Star Tropics 3 right there. And it can be open world. Yeah. And Mike has a little sister and a grandma? At this point, yeah. I like it. Uh, you just replace, no, replace the grandma with uh, Dr. Jones. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a fan of this idea. It seems like it's a no-brainer. Nintendo re-released the Wind Waker, but the Star Tropics version. Um, no, I'm serious. I think that I think it should be Crypt of the Necrodancer three Star Tropics. Uh, I think that would be amazing. That would be but, fun. No, yeah, I, I like love your idea. I love your Wind Waker idea though. Like that's I don't know why I didn't go there visually. I'm surprised that no one's ever released a, like a fan hack or something off it because it. I mean, obviously a lot of work for a fan, but it seems like a no-brainer. It's kind of like islands ocean travel isolated problems on isolated islands it's kind of like uh-huh. if they if they were to design a star tropics 3 and they were to do it in 3d using the wind waker as a template's not a terrible idea yeah that's much better than what i was about to suggest is that someone mods the pc version of dead island and makes it star tropics <laughs> well now hang on here <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to think of something that's like in a tropical setting but has like a realistic like gritty atmosphere and i'm like well dead island you got, those, you got those beaches and palm trees. Now that's interesting. Not the worst idea I've no. ever heard. <laughs> like, I'd probably play that. I mean, look, think about some of the things that he fights. He's fighting ghosts and monsters and dragons. Like they're they're rendered in a cartoony way, but technically they're vicious monsters. Technically. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me on this uh this adventure across the islands um and through time, of course. Uh I had a really good time with these games. I'm really glad that I got to play them again because I haven't played them since I was a kid. And it's playing a game when you 
that you played when you were a kid is always kind of a crapshoot because it could be terrible, it could be good. And honestly, Star Tropics lived up to my memories of it. Star Tropics 2, which I never played, did not even live up to my expectations of it. But Star Tropics 1, yeah, pretty damn awesome game. Highly recommend it. Yeah, same. I agree. I mean, I still think both are worth playing and i still think it's notable like what you said at the very beginning that this came out when it did at all and okay i didn't look this up beforehand but i i did read something about it i think this this and Mega Man 6 came out around the same time and mm. what i had heard and if i'm wrong like please no one correct me because i didn't like do a deep dive into this but i i saw in a video that i guess I didn't ever know this, so hopefully it's true that I'm since I'm saying it now that I guess Capcom was not going to bring Mega Man Six out here because it again we were already in the Super Nintendo era, which is why Nintendo published Mega Man Six here. So like Mega Man Six and this were like some of the last NES games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mega Man Six a much better game than Star Tropics Two, but I don't think anyone can deny a, that. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'm I'm glad we experienced it, and it was fun at least. I think going back to Sea Island, if they were never to do another one, which I'm sure they won't at this point, like at least it kind of like caps off the two games pretty well. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. If you're only going to have a second one, that was a good ending. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, again, thank you both for joining me. So let's do a little housekeeping before we leave. So uh, if you are looking for a way to support us here at RPG Fan, we have a store now. Uh, You can find it at www.rpgfan.com slash shop. And inside we have all kinds of things like mugs and magnets and some t-shirts and other kinds of clothing. And Mike, we, I believe we're working on our 20, uh, some merch with our 25th anniversary uh, logo. We are. Yes. My goal. Wow. It's uh, it's mid month already, but my goal is to have it in the shop by the end of the month. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> and if you want a preview of that, just go to the website, www.rpgfan.com and check up in the top left-hand corner and you can check out our our snazzy uh, anniversary logo. Well, thank you. You don't have to say it's snazzy just because I'm here, but I appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's snazzy. I, I, I wholeheartedly uh, use the word snazzy here. Okay. So you are listening to Retro Encounter right now. Uh, coming up, we have a fun little episode called RPG Fan Had a Farm, which, I mean, take a wild guess what that one's about. Um, and we have some other ones, including Most Wanted Remasters, which I was on and I had a really, really good time talking about it. Just talking about uh, games that we would most like to see remasters or remakes. Uh, a lot of fun. Did not stay. Did not say Star Tropics on it for reasons. Um, we also have a Random Encounter, which is my usual show that is alternating every other Monday. Uh, there we talk about games that have recently come out, uh, news. I think that the next episode is going to be on. Uh, it'll be out two weeks from now, and it'll be talking about Octopath Traveler 2 and uh, Like a Dragon Machine. So I really can't wait to talk about Like a Dragon Machine because, oh boy, I, I had so much fun playing that game. I can say that now because the uh, embargo is going to be tomorrow. Um, we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Mike, what do we have coming up for Rhythm? Actually, a little bit after this, we are doing uh, an episode on Like a Dragon. So I'm not on that, so you really should tell me uh how that episode is going to go but i'm assuming between you and Celosi and geo that's going to be a fun time it's going to be a real fun time uh can't wait to talk about that game uh, the music of that game i've been waiting to talk about the music of yakuza for years um so yeah super excited about that uh be sure to check out the previous episode of rhythm encounter which is the best of the music of the xeno series including not necessarily well i guess it's not really a series spiritual series you know what i mean yeah there's there's a weird 
thread connecting them, yeah. Xeno is complicated. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Retro, you can fire us off a message at retro at rpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you. I know that Solosi would adore to hear from you. So if you have any ideas for future episodes, discussion questions, we love those. Anything else you'd like to share, uh, please fire a message off to retro at rpgfan.com. If you'd like to send me a message, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com or you can add me on Mastodon at johnologan at mastodon.social. Mike, where can we find you online? You can't. But Done. you can email me at mike at rpgfan.com. And Nick, where can we find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at nickmanwrites. Uh, and that's it. Awesome. Uh, so if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. Uh, you can also rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. And uh, if you feel like dropping us a review, we'd love to read it. Uh, again, Mike, Nick, thank you so much for joining me for the this adventure across the islands. I really appreciate you taking the time to play it and uh, joining me this evening. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank it you. Fun. It was a lot of fun going back to these games. It was. And uh, to all of you out there, good night and good luck. Good luck.